right. So we are uh, walking through the life of Paul, his uh, ministry and his life. And um, as we were doing that, we're, we're, uh, we're needing this morning, I think, to do a little bit of a recap. You guys ready for a little recap? How many of you have missed a church at some point in the last few weeks? Shame on you guys. No, I'm joking. But, you know, um, when I think about Paul's life, um, I, I, I get into these periods where I'm studying something, and to me, like, it's really clear, like, he's going here, he's doing this, he's going here. Um, but then, you know, you start studying some other area in, in the Bible, and you're, you go back and try to think about something else that you studied before, and you forget uh, all kinds of details. And, and I don't know about you, but even from week to week, um, you might forget some details where we're coming from, where we're going. Uh, so we're in Paul's third missionary journey this week. Uh, but where we came from was a few weeks ago. We started with Paul as uh, the persecutor. He was uh, a guy who uh, was giving approval to uh, the first martyr's death, Stephen. When they were stoning him to death, he was there kind of watching uh, the coats and saying, you know, good job, I approve, and, and we need to do this. We need to stop this. Christianity thing before it gets rolling. Um, and so he actually goes on some uh, mission trips to persecute the church. And uh, as he's doing that, he's going to Damascus and he meets Jesus. So we saw that he was, uh, uh, first of all, a persecutor of the church, and then he encounters Jesus and his whole life changes. And so as we're studying the life of Paul, it's kind of interesting to think about this. So, um, so much of the New Testament and so much of Christianity as we understand it today uh, has been filtered by God through the life and the ministry uh, of Paul, that Paul was God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what the Bible says, that uh, for whatever reason, God said, here's a guy that is going to be used by me in a mighty way to 2,000 years later, actually reach people in Alito, Illinois, uh, in Mercer County. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think about how this guy who started out murdering Christians and putting them in jail then became God's chosen instrument. And why I say that really quick, just as an aside, is because there is no point in your life, okay, there's nothing that you've done in your past, there's nothing that has occurred in your life that... God can't forgive, and God can't change, and God can't redeem and, and set you on a new path, okay? So I don't know where anybody is or where you've been or, or how you feel like abandoned by God or, or mad at God or that you've, been, you've sinned too much for God or whatever the case may be. Um, when you encounter Jesus Christ in a real way, your life can change, and you need to understand this is what grace is about, and this is what this whole thing is about is that we believe and we understand that grace is big enough, God's love is big enough to change any life permanently and set it on a new path. And so Paul encounters Christ. He is converted to an understanding. He did not understand or believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He encountered Jesus. Now he knew that he was the Messiah. And then he turned around and began to tell people and prove and convince them scripturally from the Old Testament that Jesus was the person that God had planned and prophesied to come to pay for the sin of the world. And how God proved that Jesus was this person was that he raised him from the dead. 
never again to die permanently, uh, indestructibly, that he was resurrected in a, to an indestructible life. So Paul begins to share that, and what happens in, in Paul's life is that he has this weird, interesting thing that is very unique to Paul. Um, he stays in Damascus for a few years. He learns the gospel not by any man. So this is one of those things where it, the, the book of Acts doesn't talk about it. Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians that he had learned the gospel directly from Jesus in those years. He didn't hear it from Peter. He didn't hear it from uh, Mark. He didn't hear it from any other uh, uh, gospel writer, Matthew. None of these guys told him about uh, Jesus. It was Jesus himself. He encountered uh, personally. He was revealed the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the life of Jesus, all these things that he received it directly from him. And so he is made an apostle in a similar way to all the 12 disciples because of a direct reference to his relationship with Jesus personally. Okay, so he begins to share that with people and to teach people about Jesus. And so after a few years, he goes down to Jerusalem. He encounters Peter and meets him. But the, the Jewish leaders are furious with Paul because he had been, remember, on a mission trip to persecute the church. He leaves and then he becomes a Christian. He comes back. That's the next time they see him. Now he's a Christian spreading the gospel, and they want him dead. And so after just two weeks in Jerusalem, they send him to Tarsus, which is where he is from. He spends seven to nine years there. We're not exactly sure the time frame, but somewhere between seven to nine years in Tarsus, when all of a sudden Barnabas, who is in Antioch, says, I need some help teaching the church, raising up leaders, so he goes to Tarsus, finds Paul, brings him back to Antioch. They do some ministry together for a little while. Um, and then they uh, are called by the Holy Spirit to go on mission trips, okay, on their first mission. And they go and they begin to spread the word of God. And so we went through the first mission that they went just in Syria and Lebanon and that area. They began to spread the gospel there um, and to the island over in Cyprus and, okay, some of these places. Um, and they go and they do that, but when they come back to Antioch, um, they decide that they're going to go back and visit some of these churches. Well, they have a disagreement over Mark, who, remember from last week, we learned that he was the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He becomes this very important figure in Christianity, but at that time, he's still young and still uh, questionable in, in terms of Paul's mind uh, as to whether or not he can be trusted to go on this trip because he abandoned them on the first trip. Uh, he got homesick, went back home, whatever happened, he left. And Paul says, no, Barnabas takes Mark and he goes back the same route, Cyprus and up into Lebanon. Uh, Paul takes Silas and they go by land up through uh, Syria. And so what happens there is Paul and Barnabas never do ministry together again. Mark actually becomes a close friend of Paul's later in life and he uh, becomes this person that um, Paul vouches for, writes about in his letters, and says, he's very important to me. Um, but for whatever reason, God decided that this partnership needed to be split up. And sometimes what we learn from that is that you don't know why things are happening in your life, but God has a purpose for it. Sometimes it's painful, but God's doing something. Um, and we need to allow for those things uh, to have their work or their redeeming effect in our lives. Okay, so then 
we're, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to the end of that second mission trip. Okay, Paul and Silas have gone all the way up into um, Turkey, and the Spirit of Jesus has prevented Paul from going into what they call Asia, which would be Asia Minor, which is um, Western Turkey. So the, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, no, this is not the right time, not the right place. And so he uh, gets a vision. He goes into Macedonia, which is what we call Greece. Back then they called it Macedonia, northern part of Greece. So they go and they begin to do missions all through Europe, all through Greece, all the way down to Corinth, which is at the very southern end of Greece. And then Paul makes his way back over to uh, Ephesus, which is Turkey, which is Asia Minor, which is the place that the Spirit of Jesus said, don't go there yet. And why I bring that up is because sometimes when God says no, he sa he's saying no, not yet. Not necessarily no, not ever. Okay, and, and why that's important is because um, if it's a moral issue, then it's no, not ever. Okay, if it's a sin issue, it's no, not ever. But if it's a discernment issue, if it's, if it's a choice, if it's a decision, if it's something that you're struggling with, um, you need to allow for God's timing in your life because you don't always know why he's preventing you from making that decision or going uh, to that place or uh, starting that relationship or whatever it might be um, and God may be saying it's just not the right time and someday you'll understand but right now you may not have a clue okay but in this case it was no not yet but then he goes to Ephesus uh, on his way back and so this is still the end of the second trip let's pick it up here in 18, Acts 18, um, and we're going to start here in verse 18. Um, and this is pre-sermon, okay? This is the pre-sermon scripture. You got that? All right. We're still just giving you a recap. This is, we're not on that page yet. So not that. Okay, thank you. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Grab your Bibles. And I don't know if somebody's phone is dinging or device is going off, but if, <laughs> let's silence our phones, all right? Um, so here's what I want you to do. Get your phone, get your Bible out, if uh, you have your Bible on your phone. Uh, but before you get into your Bible app, silence your phone. Okay, for the rest of you who are using a physical Bible, grab one from the pew or the chair in front of you or the one that you brought from home. But we're going to walk through just a few different places in Acts. And here's the first one. Acts 18, 18 says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila at Sencria, uh, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. So he's headed to Syria. He's not in Syria yet. Okay, right now he's going to be in Turkey. Uh, but it says, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. He left Aquila and Priscilla there. These are people that he met uh, back in Corinth. They're Christian people who are tent makers like him. Uh, who are mature Christian people, leaders, and he's going to leave them in Ephesus because he's not going to stay. So he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. So he's, he's in the synagogue, which means it's probably a Sabbath, but it may not be because uh, the thing is that the synagogue is a place of community, that they have community events all the time. They have their worship on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, uh, but their community events are happening all the time. So he goes in, to the synagogue. He reasons with the Jews, uh, but when they asked him to stay, uh, um, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. 
Okay, he, he knew that he needed to go back to Antioch right now. He declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. Then here's an important issue that Paul has learned, okay, over the last trip that he was on. Remember last week we were talking about discernment issues, trying to figure out where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go here? And he's trusting the Holy Spirit. He's trying to be sensitive to God's leading. He has a desire to go certain places. In fact, he says in Romans, he said, it is his ambition to preach the gospel in places that have not heard the gospel. He doesn't want to necessarily go into places that other people have started ministries. He wants to go in and start brand new, preach the gospel, and build churches, and spread the gospel to, to unknown places. That's his ambition. But he also knows that his ambition has to be submitted to God's will. The book of James says it very clearly. It says that we need to make sure that we are not making plans other than to say, if God wills it, yes, I'll do this, and I'll do, go here, and I'll stay a year, and I'll make some money. And this is what James is talking about, that there's a, an issue in our hearts that it's okay to have desires, it's okay to make certain plans, but we have to always submit those plans to God's will, because he may change your plans. Have you ever had your plans changed by God? Raise your hand if you've had your cha plans changed by God. You had a plan. You had an idea. This is where I'm going with my life. And God says, that's not really the best thing for you. And for me, and it, this is totally aside from this whole sermon, okay? We haven't gotten to the sermon yet. But the, the whole issue of becoming a Christian for me was I had this clear moment, okay? I, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. I believed, but I really wasn't a Christian until I went to college and I had, I'd messed my life up. I mean, I was on drugs and I was trying to get clean and I, I, I wasn't really about God at that point, but I came into this, this uh, setting where I could hear clearly from the Lord. And the, the first thing that I came to clarity about in my life, okay, and this isn't how everybody comes to the Lord, it's just how I came to the Lord, was that I understood and I believe God created me and that he knew what was best for my life. He knew who I was made to be. He knew what uh, my future should be. He knew how I was wired. He knew my personality. He, he had made all those things. And the only way for me to have a fulfilled life, I, I, I mean, this is my initial step of faith to just give God my life was like, if I try to control my life, I'm going to mess it up because I already had tried, and I'm only 18, 19 years old at this point. I need to just give this life to God and let him do what he wants with it. Whatever that is, it's going to be better than whatever I was going to do with it. And I just said, God, it's yours. And from there, it's been an a, a, a effort, <laughs> intentional effort to say, God, what's your will at this step? What's your will? Uh, at every step of my life, whether it's uh, getting married, uh, discerning a call to ministry, discerning a call to this church, discerning where I should go in, in, in missions or whatever it is, is always a matter of, and I'm not saying I always get it right. Um, I mean, I definitely got it right with my uh, spouse. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, because uh, <laughs> I'm way off topic. All right, <laughs> Molly's not even in here. So anyway, that was the greatest 
uh, thing that God brought into my life, and then everything else, I mean, has just been a blessing to be here in this church. Uh, I'll tell you, there are two things that, to me, have been so absolutely, utterly clear outside of my initial saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It has been uh, my marriage and my call to this church. God has just done things that I couldn't have possibly thought or planned or imagined or, or, or predicted. He just, if you pay attention to what God wants for your life, you will be where you need to be. So Paul says, if, it, if God wills, then I'll come back. He wants to go back. It's his ambition to go back. He wants to plant a church there and do ministry there, but he is submitted to whatever God wants for his life. So here's the, the thing in verse 22. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea, uh, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. Okay, that's the end of his second missionary journey. Verse 23, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So in those two verses, if, you don't, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss that Paul has just ended his second journey and started his third journey. And what you see in Paul's life is that once he goes on mission, okay, the first time, he never stops. What he does is he goes back to Antioch for a very brief period of time, and then he just goes back out on the field. And this is his life, and he will never quit. He will continue to go and go and go. As long as God gives him strength, he's going to continue to go. And so he makes a beeline uh, for Ephesus. He, we don't really know about a lot of what he did when he goes back through Galatia and all, that, all those places. He strengthened the church. He preached the word, all that. But he's really making a beeline for Ephesus. This is where he believes he needs to be. It's where God wants him to be. And he's going to go there and he's going to begin to do some amazing things. And so here's what happens in Ephesus. Let's stand as we read God's word this morning. This is Acts 19, starting in verse 11. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish uh, exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, which uh, I command you. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit uh, was leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, highly lifted up, honored, respected. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And Father, again, we just ask that that would be 
the case in our own day, Lord, that your word would prevail mightily, that your spirit would prevail mightily, that you would uh, be known, Lord, loved, followed, obeyed. Um, Lord, that you would change lives, that you would change our lives, God, even as we come here as believers. The majority of us are here to, to honor and worship and grow and learn and, and uh, be more inspired and filled with your spirit and, and uh, encouraged to go out and spread the word for the, throughout the week wherever we go. And we need more of your spirit. We need more of your power. In our own power, we have, we have no strength to do much of anything. I mean, we're, we're barely... Uh, capable of, of resisting temptation in our own lives, um, sometimes not even then. But your spirit is powerful to do uh, more than we can imagine, more than we can think, more than we could even ask. And Lord, we're encouraged by that because what it means is we can, we can ask for anything. We can ask for you to, to uh, save this county, to change every heart and every mind, Lord, in, in this whole uh, state in this in this world, Lord, it's it's not beyond your power. Nothing is beyond your power. There's nothing we can we can imagine that uh, is beyond what you're capable of. We can't even understand what you've already done. We're we're so at a loss to to grasp with our minds just the sheer magnitude of of who you are, your creation, your love for us the willingness to, to give your own son. These things are incomprehensible in so many ways, Lord. We thank you that you have given us a, a glimpse of the meaning of some of these things, Lord, to the effect that we are transformed by them. Lord, I, I pray that we would continue to be transformed, continue to be empowered, continue to be on fire uh, for your glory, for your kingdom. And, uh, Lord, that you would somehow be willing to use us to spread the word to somebody in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community. Father, would you take that, uh, that Holy Spirit that lives in us, and, uh, Lord, would you open some hearts and minds, change some lives, Lord, for your glory. And, and Lord, we'll give you all the praise for whatever you want to do. We thank you that we can be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here's what's happening here, is that Paul has come to Ephesus, and for whatever reason, Ephesus is like this spiritual epicenter of activity. There's, there's so much spiritually going on in Ephesus Paul begins to preach the gospel. He stays there for like two and a half years and he's preaching and he's teaching and people are getting saved and, and people are beginning to change in, in mighty ways. In fact, it comes to such a point that um, the, the gospel has changed so many people and has had such a powerful effect that the people who make idols, who, who make uh, little statues to be worshipped, they're, they're so afraid that uh, Christianity is going to take over, that they're going to go out of business, and they start a riot, and that's ended up how Paul ends up leaving Ephesus and after a couple of years of ministry there. But before that happens, what's going on is that there is uh, a magnitude of uh, like an earthquake of spiritual activity, and so 
this is what I see. If you, if you take a, a step back from uh, Acts chapter 19 and you just kind of try to look at it from a 30,000 foot view, uh, you see that there is uh, the activity of the Holy Spirit changing lives. And then you also see, and, and this is a principle that I, I believe is, is something that every Christian needs to understand, that when God is at work, the enemy is also at work. And however much the Holy Spirit is moving and changing people and, and uh, actively you know, producing effects in people's lives, you're going to see that the enemy, Satan, is is ramping up his activity as well, trying to frustrate and discourage and to halt or to somehow prevent what God is doing, okay? And that, generally speaking, is something that every believer, I think, needs to understand. And so Paul writes in Ephesians, I love to take Acts chapter 19 and then I go over to Ephesians and I I like to read those together because I believe that you're seeing... Uh, what's happening in Paul's ministry in Ephesus, he's talking about the same kinds of things when he reports back to them, when he's trying to encourage them, trying to help them along. In Acts chapter, or uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul's going to give basically a a go-to manual for how to deal with spiritual warfare, okay? But he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that was what was going on in Ephesus when Paul was there. You're seeing the activity of the Holy Spirit. You're seeing the activity of the enemy. And they're clashing. Okay? Now... Like I said, you take a step back and you see that that's what's going on there. I believe that whenever you see the Holy Spirit at at work, you're going to see the enemy try to frustrate that work. And I say that because it is, Paul said his ambition was to preach the gospel where it hadn't been preached before. My ambition was to go somewhere where the Holy Spirit was at work. That, that, That was what I wanted for my life. My, my ministry, I, I didn't care. I never cared. I will tell you this as, as honestly as I can. I never had a thought like, I need to go here. I need to be in a certain you know, region of the country or a certain region of the world, or I need to do this kind of ministry. I never cared about that. All I cared about was, I need to do what God wants me to do, and I want to be, my ambition, I want to be where God is working. And before I came to First Baptist Church of Alito, God was working here. He was already changing lives, and people were getting saved, and I was hearing these stories of people radically changed by, by Jesus, and I'm telling you, okay, this was 15, 16 years ago. I had already been in ministry five, six years at that point as a, as a senior pastor, as a youth pastor, and I'd seen some things, but I hadn't seen anything like what was happening here. I hadn't seen it growing up. I hadn't seen it throughout college. I hadn't seen it in my own ministry, but I heard about it happening here, and I, this was one of the reasons why I knew, I believed God was calling me to come here is because I saw God at work here. And by the grace of God, over the last 15 years, we continue to see God at work in this church, in this community, in this place. I don't know why. He has his hand here, and I, 
telling you confidently, strongly, without hesitation, I believe God's Spirit is at work in this place. And it's not anything that I created. It's something I inherited by the grace of God, and I'm thankful for that. But what I know is not only is God working here, and he's continued to work here, but that understanding the nature of spiritual warfare, that as God works and as he moves and changes lives, that the enemy also is at work. And if you don't know that, then what's going to happen is you're going to get frustrated when a problem happens or a conflict happens or something in your life you know, isn't the way that you wanted it to be or something frustrates you in your faith or some understanding you know, you're not getting. And, you, and so here's what happens. Jesus talks about the sower and the soils, and he says that one of the, or two of the soils are like this. One is the hard path where the enemy comes along and takes the seed. The seed is the word. You've heard that before? Now, that is the unbeliever who says, I don't want to accept what you're saying. And what I know is that there are people um, who come to church on a weekly basis who are hard. Their hearts are hard. They're not interested. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. They're not believers. The word is planted. We're throwing it out. <laughs> you know, we're spreading it all over the place every week. And it's just hitting that hard heart. And the Satan comes along takes it, and from one week to the next, you come back to church, you're like, I have no idea what you were talking about last week. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit can begin to work on your life, but you have to at least create a crack in your heart and let that seed fall in there and do its work. Okay? I don't know what else to tell you other than you know if this is you. i I think the soil knows what kind of soil it is. So get a little water in there, create a little crack, let that seed fall in, see what happens. But there's another soil. He talks about it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have uh, very much depth, right? The seed falls in there and it grows up and it pops up pretty fast, but then it dies again pretty quickly because there's no root. And here's what's happening. Spiritual warfare is like this. When you accept and agree and believe what is being said to you in these moments, okay, the word of God is going out and we're trying to help you to understand God's love for you and his plan for you and, and how he wants to change your life. You say, I love that and I want that. And something happens, you say, okay, God's at work in my life and I'm receiving that word, I want to accept it. And then what happens is immediately the enemy, now, Jesus doesn't talk about it this way in the sower and the soils. Okay, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but I believe what's going to happen for most people is that as soon as they accept the word that's planted in them, the enemy's going to come along and try to frustrate that. Somehow, a health issue, a marital issue, a financial issue, uh, something, you know, your car breaks down, your, the air conditioner goes out in your house. I mean, something big kind of kind of begins to happen. You have a conflict at work. Something goes on in your own heart. When I became a Christian, immediately, okay, when I was in college and I accepted Christ, I'm like, yes, I want the Lord in my life. Almost immediately, I began to go through a period of deep depression. The weirdest thing, okay, it was the weirdest thing because it's like, okay, I'm finally on track. I finally have accepted what God wants to do in my life. And things are going well, and yet 
in my heart, I'm just become, I'm plunged into a deep depression. And by the grace of God, by good counsel, I began to address that depression through spiritual warfare. I, I began to pray about it and say, okay, this isn't normal. This isn't just me. This isn't just an emotional thing. This is a spiritual attack. And I'm telling you, if I had not, probably, I mean, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. But I believe that if I had not addressed that spiritual issue in a spiritual way, then I would not have continued to grow in my, my faith and to walk that path. I don't know what would have happened. I think this, the enemy was seeking to try to steal or kill or destroy the, the word of God that had been planted in me. And I'm telling you that because some of you are going to walk away from this church service and say, I love that, I agree with that, I want that, and then something's going to happen. And the enemy's going to try to take that joy or that faith or that new understanding, and he's going to try to destroy it. And you're going to have to fight that in a spiritual way. You're not going to be able to just walk away from that and say, okay, I'm just going to get over this. You're going to have to take that to the Lord. You're going to have to ask Jesus Christ to give you the more power, more strength to defeat the, the enemy's tactics. And you have to understand that the enemy is seeking to destroy the work of God in your life. If you don't understand that, you're not going to survive the attack. Do you get that? So, Paul, and in Ephesus, is beginning to do some powerful things, mighty things. We just looked at it from a 30,000-foot view. We're going to look at it, not necessarily through a microscope, but a lot closer, okay? In Acts chapter 19, what we just read, here are the events in Ephesus as they occur. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. So Paul, swiping his brow with a, uh, with a handkerchief or bl blowing his nose, kind of gross. But anyway, he takes, somebody takes that hanky and then they go lay it on somebody else and they're healed. Okay, that's kind of a, a step of miracle that you haven't seen before. Their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them. And here's what's going on. Okay. What that is, is a confirmation. When, when you see miracles in the Bible, 99% of the time, it's a confirmation of the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. If you trust in him, you will have eternal life. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the truth. The confirmation is trust Jesus and you're healed. And the... They don't need the miracle to have eternal life, but they need the miracle in order to understand the validation, the confirmation of the gospel that they've just heard. And what this is, is an indication of mentally, I believe what you're saying. Okay, intellectually, I'm accepting what you're saying. It's, it's truth, and I accept it as truth. So that's the first step of faith. That's the, that's the first step of salvation. Every person who's going to be saved is going to start there. You cannot get to spiritual maturity if you skip that step, right? 
Can you have a relationship with God if you don't believe in him? Anybody? No, of course not. So it's the first step. Everybody has to start here. I believe. Uh, what does James say about it in, in his letter? Who else believes? You remember? Even the demons believe and shudder. So oh, you have to be kind of careful with this because on one hand, as evangelical Baptist people, we start with faith. You believe, you trust Jesus, you accept the promise, and that promise is now yours. You're, you're saved. The problem is, a lot of times we not only start there, but we end there. And that's as far as we ever go. We, we just want people to get into heaven. We just want people to be saved and, and to accept, you know, that Jesus as their Lord and Savior, say the sinner's prayer, come to the altar, have this moment, have this, this time when you can put a stamp on it and say, yes, I'm saved and I can go my way. That's not what the Bible says is enough. So I have to be careful because on one hand, it is salvation to trust in Jesus and to accept him as your Lord and Savior. But on the other hand, the Bible says it's not just that in the sense of this. There's more to your faith than just intellectually accepting something. Transformation of the heart is what we're really after. But it starts with the belief. Now, here's the next thing that happens. And we're, we're taking the story and we're pulling it apart to see the different components, okay? But it says this, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed, seven sons of Siva, or seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva, were doing this, but the evil... Oops. Spirit... <laughs> Answer them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Now, let me just pause there for a second. What's happening is that these Jewish priests, or if their father's a high priest, then they are priests. Uh, they are trying to exorcise a demon by the name of Jesus, using him as a magic word, like an incantation. Abracadabra, okay? Jesus, his name is powerful, but if you don't know him, then his name is meaningless to you. You can't just put the name of Jesus on the end of a prayer and accept your prayer to be answered. What Jesus wants is a relationship. What the Spirit says, this is kind of a bizarre thing, but the Spirit, this demon, actually reveals the truth about what it means to be a Christian. It says, I know Jesus. And I even have heard of Paul, because Paul knows Jesus you don't know Jesus. So even though Jesus is powerful, you have no power. And you can't just use his name to get power. You have to know him personally. The Old Testament says this, and Jesus repeats it as the greatest commandment. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We got the mind part. You believe. The heart part is you have to love God, love Jesus in a relationship. We talk about that all the time, don't we? Anybody ever think, well, man, they're just not talking about having a relationship with God? Have we missed that? But here's the thing. Here's what I know. We can get so focused on the belief part that we miss the relationship part. 
I need to know God and know about God and know what he wants that I miss that I'm actually supposed to spend time with him, have a relationship with him, talk to him, converse with him, share with him my thoughts, my feelings, my, my questions, and, and actually be in a relationship in such a way that we're communing together. And so I'm just going to give you just a little bit of advice, okay, if I can do that, if you don't mind. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day about exercise, okay? I relate exercise and spiritual disciplines kind of, I think there are a lot of similarities between the two. You can kind of learn a lot from, from each one. But I was talking about exercise in this way. Um, I said it doesn't matter what kind of exercise you do. It doesn't really matter that much. You want to run, you want to jog, you want to walk, you want to bike, you want to lift weights, you want to swim, you want to whatever, you know, play tennis. It doesn't matter, okay? The main thing is to find something that you like. This is my philosophy, okay? I'm not saying you should go out to the, you know, the sports experts and ask them this. I'm just saying this is my philosophy about exercise. Find something you like, and then you'll do it. So it, it, who cares if you're the strongest or the fastest or just you're doing going to do something that you like. And then, but the next thing is that even though you might like it, you still have to be disciplined or schedule your time to do it or else it'll never happen. So you find something that you like and then you commit yourself to some kind of a schedule. You realize that your relationship with God is similar to that. How you pray, how you read the Bible, it doesn't really matter that much how you do it. Do you do it when you drive? Do you walk around in circles? Do you go for walks in your neighborhood? Do you sit in a corner in a dark room? Do you sit in your favorite chair? Do you go out on the deck? Do you go in a tree stand and pray? Do you read your Bible, uh, you know, one verse a day or, or one chapter a day? Or you read through whole books of the Bible at a time? It doesn't really matter that much. What matters is that you find a way to do it that you like that means something to you, and then you do it regularly, right? I, th I think that, to some degree, a lot of people do not engage in their personal relationship with God because it seems like another law, just another command, another rule to follow, and it's just like, oh, I'm supposed to do this thing, and we open up our Bibles, and it feels like we're just punishing ourselves you know, with, with this discipline. And if that's how you feel, then I'm just telling you, you got to explore some different ways to go about it because that is not what God wants. He's not interested in punishing you with some other tedious task to accomplish for the day. He wants to have a relationship with you. And, and I have relationships that... I still have to schedule some time for. Don't you? I'm finding that, you know, my wife and I, if we don't actually plan to go out on a date, we just don't end up going out on dates. Do you know that? Like, we got to get together and say, hey, what about this night? Will this work for you? And I love going out on dates with my wife. I enjoy that immensely. But I still have to make time for it. I still have to find the, the schedule and... and uh, work with her on these things. So anyway, it's the same thing with your spiritual life. Even if you enjoy spending time with God, you still have to figure out 
when am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish this and make sure that my relationship is growing? You got it? Too much? Not enough? Okay. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. So the next thing is, you think, well, isn't that enough? You got your mind. You got your heart. What else do you need? Well, here's the next thing. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So here's the, the third thing. Okay, and I'm just giving you three things so you can take a little sigh of relief. But the third thing is that you have a will. You have a body. You have to do something with what you're now learning, what you're feeling. Now you have to put some activity to it. And there are two spectrums that we're going to talk about. One is the moral life. You have sins that you need to repent of and avoid. Okay? There are things that God is revealing to you, and we can walk through constantly all the things that you should not do or we're not going to do that. Basically, more or less, most people, if you're reading God's word, you're around God's people, and you have a conscience, then you know the big things that you should not be doing. Would you agree? You need me to tell you? You're like, can if you want. No. So here's the deal is that what happens in your life, my life, is that spiritual warfare, we get so overwhelmed with guilt. Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to be so frustrated with yourself and feel so guilty that instead of conquering sin in your life, you just run away from God. You ever been there before? Like, I'm so sick of myself, I can't seem to get over this issue, this temptation that's in my life, this desire that seems to be in my heart. If I'm really a Christian, why doesn't God take this out of me? Why doesn't he conquer it for me? Why doesn't he destroy it in me? And the reality is this, that God has given us the blueprint for how to defeat sin in our lives. And it will take time, okay? Here's what you do. When you recognize something is wrong, sinful, and, and not godly, then you confess it to the Lord, and you say, God, please forgive me, and God promises that he will forgive you. Isn't that awesome? And then the next time that you're tempted, or the next time that you fail, the next time that you do this wrong thing again, which will most likely happen, you just keep bringing that to the Lord, and you say, God, I'm sorry for that, and he keeps forgiving you, and you keep bringing it to the Lord, and he keeps forgiving you. And what happens over time, and it may take years, and it may take a decade or two, but you can conquer and destroy that sin in your life. Sound like, I mean, we were McDonald's trained. We, we want fast results. We want to have immediately right now, I never struggle with that thing again, but I'm telling you that that, that is not how it works most of the time. Once in a while, God will just take a sin out of your life and just throw it away, and you'll never have to deal with it again. But the majority of people, for the majority of their, their sinful temptations, have to go through this process over the course of years. 
And I have found, okay, that if I'm willing to do this and I'm willing to be consistent in it, I'm willing to persevere through it, then I can conquer anything that God has shown me is wrong in my life. So therefore, I am perfect. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for the lightning bolt to... I mean, we are fallen creatures. There are things that we're just always going to pop up and, and come out and things that we're going to deal with, things we're going to be tempted to and things we're going to miss, okay? But the major things, I mean, there are things that used to be so overwhelming to me and I was like wondering if I'm ever going to get over it and I'm looking back at it like God's good. And it took time. And now I don't understand how I was involved in that thing, that mindset, that practice, that habit, but here I am, and it's like, that's just not even an issue anymore. In fact, I, I, it's disgusting to me. You can get there, but it takes an act of the will. It takes a consistent persistence in your heart to say, I'm going to continue to walk with the Lord through this, and you will succeed. Don't let the, the enemy defeat you by accusing you and making you feel guilty and running away from God. That's one side. The other side is service. A lot of people do not understand, and this is, maybe it's a fault of the church, maybe it's a fault of the leadership, but a lot of people don't understand. We don't talk about it nearly enough that in order to grow spiritually, it's not enough just to learn things, not enough just to have a quiet time with God, it's not enough just to try to deal with sin in your life. You have to sacrifice some things. You have to put your, your body into a place where you can serve the Lord. There are things that God has made you to do for him. You cannot earn your salvation by doing it, but he has called you to serve. And he's called you to give, and he's made you unique, and he wants you to be used for his kingdom. And the, the, if you don't get involved in that, you will never grow beyond a certain point. You'll never grow past the money that you refuse to give. That it has a hold on you. And I said this earlier, and I don't know how many people are going to be upset with me about it, but here's what I'm going to tell you. And I hesitate to even say this, okay? Because part of it is just really, it's not real. It's not true. But people have this mindset that um, the church, this church or whatever church, does not need your money. Okay, we, we don't need your money. The church has plenty of money. We, we um, whatever, we don't need your money. So therefore, um, why would I give my money to this church or to any church? And here's what I'm telling you. If that is your mindset and that is preventing you from giving, then give your money to something else. Give it to another organization. Give it to a homeless shelter. Give it to a mission. Give it to a nonprofit. Give it to something else that serves God in some other way. If you think that this church or whatever church doesn't need your money, then give it somewhere else. But do not let that mindset of the church doesn't need my money fool you and trick you into thinking that you don't need to give anything. The issue is not 
giving. The issue is that you have a need. It's not about our need, it's about your need. I guess that's what I'm saying. You and I have a need to give some things. It's, a, it's in our hearts to be greedy. It's in our hearts to be selfish. And when God says tithe, he doesn't, it doesn't, if, if something's causing a problem with you tithing, then give it somewhere else. But make sure that you give it. Or else it's going to become moldy in your hands. It's going to cause you to be selfish with what you think that you own or deserve. Same thing with your time. I'm, I'm not really trying to get on money. I just think that for some people, money really is an issue. The same thing with your time. I don't have time to, to serve. I don't have time to do that for God. I don't have time to... None of us have any more time than anybody else. You know that? How many hours are in a day? 24. How many of those do you have? How many do I have? We all have the same amount of time. Oh, but I'm busy, and I work a lot, and I do this, and I do that, and I have these kids, and I have this thing. We're, we all have that. <laughs> you, you, it's not about your time. It's about giving yourself to something greater than you. You know, we are, I, said, I think I said this last week, we are in a pandemic of depression. And the issue with that is that people feel like they have no purpose. Why do people feel they have no purpose? Because everything that they do is focused on themselves and not on anybody else. And nothing else in their life, they're not giving their life to anything bigger than just their home or their own mental wellness. You will never improve your mental wellness by focusing on your mental wellness. You have to serve. You have to give. You have to do something for somebody else. You have to do something that's bigger than you. The gospel is bigger than you. God has made you unique in order to serve that gospel somehow in a way that I can't, in a way that you're, the person sitting next to you can't, that you, only you can do that. So figuring out what that, that is and how to do it and where to get involved. and you know, Like I said before, maybe it's the same thing with your time with the Lord. Maybe it's just figuring out what you do enjoy. You, you don't have to be miserable in your service. Finding something that you do enjoy and making sure that you do it. And if you're serving in an area right now, man, I probably shouldn't say this. Molly's going to be mad at me, but don't tell her I said that. I'm serious. <laughs> she might not, but... If you're serving in an area that you are miserable, find another area to serve. Because please do not let that be the thing that just keeps you at a, in a stagnant place in your spiritual life. And I know we need people to serve and we need people to do things that isn't necessarily their heart's desire. We need people to, to do things. We need lots of people to do a lot of things. But, man, we should have enough people to do enough things to get everything done, shouldn't we? That you don't have to be miserable in what you're doing. So, if you're not on fire for what you're doing, I mean, there are things we just got to do. Somebody's got to empty the trash. Somebody's got to clean the toilet. Somebody's got to sit in the nursery. I mean, 
Some of you would love to sit in the nursery, and you're not doing it. Some of you would love to serve with our children. You're not doing it. Some of you would love to serve with our youth. You're not doing it. Some of, some of you would love to visit people in the nursing home, and you're not doing it. Let's figure out what you need to be doing and do it. Amen? All right. Here's what happens. I'll, I'll quit. All right. I'm, I apologize, but I'll quit. Verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When God's people are actively growing, maturing, and involved in spiritual warfare by doing the, the right thing in their relationship with God, defeating the enemy on the other side, what happens is the word of God prevails mightily. I believe the word of God is prevailing mightily in this church and in this community. I believe that. I see it, not as much as it could. He can do more. We can do more. And we will do more together. Amen? Father, we love you. We pray, God, that you would grow up each and every person into mature faith, into Christ-likeness, into spiritual maturity, into spirit-filled, powerful people who are serving exactly where they need to serve and loving you in ways that maybe we've never knew that we could. God, we give you all the praise. You're able to do more, infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Thank you that your power is enough. Thank you that, Jesus, that you are the ruler of this world, the conqueror of all evil and darkness, Lord, that you desire to bring us along for whatever reason we get to participate in your victory it's your victory but you've extended uh, that victory to us in us through us lord to reach this world it's got to start in our own hearts it's got to start in our own lives and our homes but lord we pray that it would go beyond that our maturity is not just for us to enjoy our maturity is for other people to be changed and inspired and, and compelled. When people see authentic Christians, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> it, it's motivating, Lord, when, when people see the uniqueness of a, a person who's really devoted to Jesus. There's something so awesome about that. Lord, we pray every person leaving this place would, would be on that path they're not already there, that they'd be on the path to grow, to become exactly the person that you made them to be. Thank you that these things are possible through Jesus. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you this morning just to let the Holy Spirit take whatever he has shared with you. If you're battling this morning, you're battling with the enemy, and you know it, and you need an extra dose of, of power to get through whatever you're going through right now, maybe that's the, the moment that you need to just come and say, God, help me. Amen? Let's stand and sing.